times of renewal. God is looking to renew us. He's ready to restore us. Right here, right now. The Holy Spirit's living, loving presence is with us. He's drawing us closer to him that we might enter into his life, his joy, his glory, his love. And in the renewal of our days, we're going to see underlined more than ever before, more than we ever understood before, that it is all for your glory, Lord. Renewal. Renewal. It starts here. It starts today. And it begins with me. It begins with you. Lamentations 5 verse 21 is my springboard text into a whole new series in which we're going to look at lots of different aspects of what it means to be renewed and revived. I've got some further teaching in line for the days that come, but I'm going to be very free as I hang ten on the revelation of the Holy Spirit, that wave, and we'll see where God takes us. So pray for me and pray for one another over these days. Now, Lamentations was written by Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was a key prophet, taking people right up to the end of the kingdom of Judah and the fall and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and on into exile. Now, if you were here last month, you were hearing about Daniel, who links into this story, and I encourage you to get that series, which is available online. But the Lamentations of Jeremiah is the poetic pain of a spirit-filled prophet who had warned and warned about these things, but now does not take delight in their fulfillment, but is grieving and mourning. There he sits in the ashes of Jerusalem, and he prays this prayer, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days as of old. Before we go any further, I want to get rid of some obstacles, which are in the way of every preacher that tries to preach what I'm doing today. First obstacle is this. You know, we've been promised revival for so long. It's always around the corner. It's around the corner. It's around the corner. And we follow this and we end up in circles and drives us literally round the bend. So I want to put forward to you my credentials today. Why I can say with confidence that renewal is on its way or here. And my first proof is this. Think about it. Renewal is in God's nature. It's in his nature to renew and restore. He is the healing, restoring, renewing God. I know we've got a lot of wind and a lot of rain, but you know what? Spring 
is already beginning to happen. The, fo- the first snowdrops, the first crocuses, or should I say croci, are appearing. It's a promise of spring, and we're reminded summer, winter, autumn, spring are the four seasons, and springtime is the time of renewal in the natural world. Think about our biology. I'm looking straight into the eyes of a doctor this morning. He's going to check me out. The body has a natural, we would say, God-given capacity to heal, to renew. Your immune system fights off infection. The coronavirus that is we're experiencing, and we've been right to pray against it, something over 1,600 deaths worldwide with something like 69,000 have been exposed to the virus. At the moment, and I'm sure it will change, but there is no treatment, there's no vaccine. And all we can do, and people who have been affected, is to wait for the body's immune system to overcome the virus and heal naturally. But more than that, every single cell in your body is being renewed. Your bones, there's an expression which I shall never use. If I do, please shoot me. These old bones, your bones are not old. They are being renewed with new cells. Your skin is being renewed. I'm going to say that again just to minister to myself. My skin is being renewed. So are your hair, nails, indeed all the cells of your body. This is a biological principle and it comes from God who created us. God is a God of renewal. Historically, God has sent renewal after renewal into the life of the church in every generation. God is a God of renewal and and he doesn't just sit by and let things decay. He sends renewal into the church and, and these days are days of renewal. And I think also this is true outside of church history into regular history. I've just come back from the Middle East and a number of years ago Something happened, it touched many different nations. It was called the Arab Spring. And that was a move, a social and political move, kind of spontaneous, although it had been boiling for a little while. But that move is not just a political one. God is working. And I can tell you that there is a real Arab Spring taking place. Hundreds and thousands of Arab-speaking people are coming to Christ through signs and wonders and visions and dreams. And we have a strong burden as a church to minister to them. God is always renewing. Especially when we are going through a very difficult time. What more could Jeremiah do He'd lived through those years of decline 
in the empire, in the uh, uh, nation of Judah. He'd witnessed the Babylonians take over and, and there was no more life left. But he's a prophet. And he knows more than anybody that when the devil says game over, it ain't over. And if the devil has been witnessing to you in your heart or through agents, sometimes even your best friends, they give up, it's all over. It is not over until it is over and it won't be over until Jesus returns and he is going to renew all things. Amen, amen and amen. Yo, go ahead. Go ahead. Just a few words which I'll be using. Renewal, restoration, revival, reformation. All those words begin with R, which is my favorite letter when I'm preaching. Renewal and restoration, they're, they're in our text. This talks about the present work of God during times of spiritual dryness. Reformation is a lot to do with us as we cooperate with God and as he enables us. And we want more than renewal, we want reformation. We want church reformation, we want reformation of our society. But revival is different. Revival is the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. All history sort of shows that. Okay, we can pray for revival, but we can't make it happen. Maybe we can prepare for a revival, but we can't bring it about. That is the sovereign decision of God to do something in a generation which will be spoken of as a reference point for many generations to come. And we long for that. Amen and amen. I want also to say that the word repentance, which is another R word, is there. But I prefer to weave it into the whole process of renewal because repentance is not a once for all thing. Some of these people who cut and paste from the book of Jeremiah words of condemnation, put them in the first person and try to pretend that they have the same authority as Holy Scripture. And usually it's so negative, it's about repent, repent, repent. I've been around for so many years, I can tell you, so many people at so many times said, repent, this is what you've got to repent of. Well, they didn't go that specific. And they forget that repentance applies to their hearts as well. And there is no time at any time when we do not need to turn our hearts afresh to God. Repentance is a lifestyle. It's turning away constantly from the things that displease God, getting to know God better and better, changing our mind and asking him to renew our heart. So just in case you're one of those people, know that repentance is woven all the way through. For example, Zechariah chapter 1, verse 3, at the end of that verse it says, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. This is amazing because in our first text it says, Restore us to yourself that we may be restored. So it begins with God. But then God says, Return to me and I will return to you. So he's restoring us to himself. We're turning to him and he is turning back to us so that we might turn more to him. And this develops into a kind of victorious cycle which we always experience in times of renewal. It's sort of, it's like a tide that is rising. It's like a 
temperature that is changing, a climate that is becoming more and more conducive, a spiritual climate more and more conducive to loving God and moving with the flow of the Holy Spirit. And I say, dear Lord, renew our hearts. Begin with me. Amen and amen. Now, I want also to add to this, it doesn't begin with R, it begins with T, transformation, which is the outcome. In many ways, it's, it's, it's very close to the purpose of all renewal. God wants transformation. He wants to renew your heart so that your marriage would be renewed. Don't forget, it is February the 16th. You know what day that is? That's Holy Lover's Day. And so is 17, and so every day of the year, don't, don't just look. Now, this is not an excuse, gentlemen, that you can use for your loved ones, your wife or your spouse or, our, or, or somebody close to you, and saying, sorry, I forgot Valentine's Day, but every day is Valentine's Day. <laughs> but the truth is, the love of God is to be freshly experienced every day, but there is a purpose just beyond you and I experiencing something fresh of the love of God. If it ended there, it would be amazing. But there's more to this than meets the eye. There's more to this just than you and your cell group members or this church. This is about a program in which God wants to bring transformation to our whole generation, transformation to our society. I use an example from the Victorian period of a group centered in Clapham called the Clapham Sect. Now this wasn't sectarian, this wasn't like bad stuff, this was a people who bonded together and they had a pledge. Will, William Wilberforce was one of the key movers and shakers. And this is what they said. Together by the grace of God, we will change the morals of our nation. Victorian language, and they certainly didn't mean just more morality. They were talking about a transformation. And amongst other things, they brought in many, many social reforms. Uh, and, uh, but amongst other things, their chief target was the abolition of slavery. At the beginning, it looked absolutely impossible, but they persisted and God was with them. And then finally, our society was transformed by the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833. More to this than just our lives but it does begin with us. And another thing which is absolutely axiomatic, it, it must be our assumption throughout all of this, that no renewal is without encounter. Encountering Jesus Christ in a fresh way. I spoke to our worship leaders and musicians at the nine o'clock service, I don't catch anybody's eye at the moment, but confirmed what I knew to be true. That when they come and prepare with their rehearsal on Thursday night, prayerful, drawing up the list of songs, it's more than just the cadence, the rhythm, the key. All of this 
is prepared as a sacrifice to say, God, we want to lead your people to the point of spiritual encounter. That we're not just saying words, not just worshipping to no purpose, but that we are actually experiencing and meeting with Jesus himself by the Holy Spirit. Can I have a strong amen in the house? Renew me, O Lord. Now I've got good news for you this morning. God has already prepared new things for you. I believe he's got it prepared for this generation, for all those who will hear him, but also right down to us as individuals. He's got something new for you. He's got something new for your family. He's got something new for your loved ones. He's got something new for you and through you, even in your workplace. When God does something new, the things that he does are not new to him. He prepared them a long time ago. Isaiah 48, verse 6. You've heard, now see all this. And will you not declare it? Once you've heard and seen, I want you to declare. All right? Make it a conversational lifestyle. Talk about the new things that God is doing. From this time forth, I don't want to overstretch the mark, but that has a very present tense significance. It is historically right up to date. From this moment forth, I announce to you new things. Then he says, hidden things that you have not known. But when he says, you've not known them, he's saying, I've known them because I prepared them a long ago. God always plans his work and works his plan. And things that are a surprise to us, God is smiling and chuckling to himself saying, I've I've had that in mind for you for a long time. And things that God has planned for us in the past are coming to fruition in this day and in this hour. And the purpose of God in transitioning us from one leadership to another, as God works out his individual purposes in the lives of his servants and ministers, God is setting a refreshing in motion which shall flourish in the days that lie ahead. Pray for your leaders. Oh yes, he's acting now. He's always acting for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory. Because he is in the business of renewal. It's his business. He is the big guy when it comes to renewal. He is the God of renewal. He says, I'm going to make all things new. You've got to go right to the end of the story, to the back of the book and read Revelation 21 verse 5 to hear it when it actually is being realized in that moment yet to come in the future. He says, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. Write it down, mark it down. It's going to happen. I will make all things new. And we who are part of the new creation are going to be part of that. He restores all things and he is restoring all things. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 21, Peter is preaching 
to the people of Jerusalem following a notable healing miracle. What is this all about? What's going on? And, and Peter said, this is God. He's promised a long time ago in the prophets that times of refreshing may come until the restoration of all things come about. Rest comes about. God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. For you and I today, think of the newness that is already surrounding you. You are so new that you dazzle me. You have a new name. I wonder what that's going to be like. I don't know, the revelation talks about it, but I don't know exactly how and when it's going to happen, but I suppose that when we stand before Jesus, he will call us by a new name, the name that he has given us. Now, you may be very proud of your name. I'm very happy with my name. Colin. Coming from Nicholas. Ruler over the people. If I don't like the Greek, I can go into the Latin, and it comes from column, meaning dove. Amen. I'm very happy with that. I love my name. My middle name, Walter, was given to me just to keep some granddad happy. But it's come in useful these days when I use Colin Walter as, a, as my Brazilian identity because they don't know about die. They can't say it. But Walter is very easy. So thank you, granddad. A new name. I'm so excited about this, I can't wait. Because when, you, when he gets the new name, he, he will name you. And it will be so satisfying. It'll be, wow, thank you, Jesus, you've given me this name. We are part of a new covenant. We are new creation people. God's mercies are new every morning. We have a new hope, a new heart, a new spirit, a new nature. We come to God by a new and living way. We have a new song. He's put a new song in our mouth, a song of praise to our God. The new song is the song of Moses and the Lamb. It's the song of redemption. We have a new relationship with God, and that means we have new relationships with each other. In times of renewal, your marriage is going to be renewed. I'm not looking at anyone in particular. But some of you are tired. Some of you need a spiritual refreshing in your relationships and you say to me, well, give me a husband and I'll renew, my, <laughs> I'll renew quickly. <laughs> well, new things. We have new relationships with each other. Apart from my relationship with God, my relationships with believers is the most important thing. Every time I meet with a believer, I'm refreshed. And I'm excited. This last week as I heard many, many testimonies which we might get to you, obviously being cautious about security matters, but talking about people who lived a very different lifestyle, who were literally enemies of the faith. And they talk about their faith and, and, and you just see Jesus is in them and 
because he's in you and in them, we're brothers. That's supernatural. Supernatural. And we have a new message. Don't forget that. It's the foundation of everything. The gospel is not just the new word from God. It is the new, ever fresh, and final word of God's goodness and love. Don't ever be ashamed of the gospel. I think that one of the things that is going to be a key feature of what God wants to do from here onwards is that this renewal will not forget the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is the renewal hope, the only renewal hope for the world. Everything in our culture that is good comes from the gospel. Sown seeds in generations gone by that have borne fruit and we're still living on the benefits of that. That's why we've got to get back and revive those gospel roots to bless our nation. Renewal, it begins with me. But there is sometimes resistance. I've spoken of the resistance of hearing so much about this and nothing ever happens that it's attempting just to say, oh, well, here's another Pentecostal, charismaniac, evangelic baby preaching about something that ain't going to happen. But I ask you, as I do myself, check out your heart. Is there not something in you The same thing that Jesus spoke about when he says, it's easy to say the old wine is better and leave the new wine on one side. There is a psychological change resistance in every single one of us. We're comfortable with how things are now. We're secure in the old, fearful in the new, and we don't want anything to take us out of our comfort zone. And this is, this is something we have to crack. You see, we are emotionally invested in the old. And, 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 and we get nice feelings when people tell us what we already believe and, and, and affirm us in our current state. And anybody that challenges us makes us feel unpleasant. I find this a big obstacle when I'm trying to share the gospel, which is good news. And I know some of my friends have never, really ever heard it. This generation is so unchurched, so unschooled, so untaught in the Bible. They've never heard the gospel, but they think they have. Why? Friends on Facebook and YouTube. My If only there was more factuality and discipline about publishing on YouTube. And here's a way to discern. Don't just take anything that anybody says. Check out their sources. Check out if they're presenting something which is supposed to be some kind of psychological or biological or or scientific fact. Were these papers or points the subject of peer-reviewed research. You do that, I think, you wipe out a great deal that's on YouTube. Let me give you an example. 
speaking to a friend of mine who has a real stumbling block over the Bible. The Bible, there's so many different Bibles, so many different versions. This can't possibly be God. And by the way, did you know that the King James Version was not written until 1611? I said, well, that's not true. Oh, here's a YouTube. And somebody on YouTube is making that as a statement of fact. The Bible was not written when it was translated under the auspices of King James in 1611. The Bible was written 2,000 years ago and actually over a period of 1,600 years when God caused holy men to be moved by the Holy Spirit and speak infallibly in his name. That's when the Bible was written. Amen and amen. Oh, no, but these are versions. Look, they're not versions. They're translations from the Greek. We go back to the original documents, the Greek and Hebrew, and we discover that there is very good ground for us to stand on when we say today, the Bible in any language, subject to translation, of course, is the Word of God. Now, I know that you get affirmed when people confirm your biases and prejudices, but listen to this. If you only keep on doing what you're doing now, you'll only ever have what you have now. But it's time for change. Ask God today from the bottom of your heart. Do something new in me, in my heart, in my family, in my church, in my community in my society, and in this nation, Lord. Do something new. Now, I want to, the point that I'm making is quite, quite subtle, because I wholeheartedly agree that we want God to do something new. But, it's not as if he hasn't done enough already. The idea that we need God to do something new in order to be revived. Wrong. God has done everything. It's finished. And God doesn't have to add to his work to impress us. And neither do we have to add to his work. This is what so, can go so wrong in renewal movements. And I've seen it over and over again. So the idea is, is that God hasn't done enough. And here I am. I'm sitting here, I'm asking him to do something new because all the other stuff is old. No, no, no. When we ask him to do something new, it's to renew us in what we have and to renew our hearts so that we can step into the fullness of what is already ours. Amen. So you start from a position, not just of positivity and faith, but of victory. God is calling us by his spirit to realize afresh and to experience afresh every single new creation reality that pertains to our lives and defines who we really are. Amen and amen. Open up your heart. Give the Holy Spirit VIP treatment. I love being a VIP. Uh, okay, I haven't got much claim to fame on that, except that if I go to a conference, somewhere in another part of the world, the security people give very special passes to VIPs. <laughs> and I wear my VIP proudly 
And underneath usually is written, access all areas. So I play some games, I put my hand over it and walk past the security man who wants to stop me and I go, access all areas. <laughs> Ooh, go through. Don't ever block the Holy Spirit. Give him VIP treatment. Say, Holy Spirit, you have access to all areas in my life. There are no no-goes, no no-entries, no blind spots, nothing that you cannot talk to me about. And that's easily said, not so hard to experience, except for one thing. He is the spirit of love. There are things... In my conscious mind, let alone my subconscious mind, that I never let any of you near. Private. Thank you very much. But there is nothing that Jesus doesn't know about me or know about you. And you can welcome him. Because he is there to bless you, to help you. Sometimes the most painful, painful things he will speak to you about. And some of the blind spots where we present so many excuses. We rationalize our weaknesses. One lady, sorry, the two stories about ladies, but just to say, to show you that I'm even-handed. One lady who I'm calling a man today, gentlemen, because we are brothers are just as bad. This person was such an angry person, you could not approach them in the slightest degree of error. There was no room for error. You had to walk around eggshell. Don't talk about that. And the subject was raised. Everybody headed for cover. They knew what was happening. This person was going to explode. So a brave, bold, new pastor says, I want to see you, lady. You got to deal with your temper. And she said, after I have dealt with you. (laughs) Don't ever try to change me. My father had a bad temper. My father's father has a bad temper. So it's as it is. Another story. How many people know or remember Selwyn Hughes? He passed away. He was for crusade for world, world revival, CWR, and he moved into the counseling ministry and uh, pioneered so much good stuff for Jesus. And he, he, he told a story of a lady that he was counseling, and, and he was telling this story to show that you don't go straight in confronting people with all that you see wrong, even if it's as obvious as the nose on their face. He listened to this lady's story. She had been referred to him for counseling because she was the ultimate dominant wife, domineering wife, and somebody had to put her right. And others who had tried in the past did not live to tell the tale. Selwyn listened to her story. And as he listened to the story, the Holy Spirit softened his heart and he just began to weep, just a little bit. Tear came down. Then he said, what's the matter with you? She's nothing. This is just that I I felt your pain. 
for some of the things you described. Anyway, the counselling goes through to the point where she says, people tell me that I'm domineering and I have to change. What do you say? (laughs) And before you answer, the last person that agreed with that, I slapped them around the face. (laughs) He said, "My, my dear sister, you do have to change. She lifted her hand in a flash of anger and was about to strike this poor, dear, beloved man until she remembered. This was the man who a moment ago wept over my pain. Does that tell you something about the Holy Spirit? You can trust him to open up your pain. You can trust him to open up your doubts. You can trust him to talk about the things that you fear. God, I can't do this. I'm not spiritual. Of course you're not spiritual. But the Holy Spirit is spiritual and he lives in you. It's about being renewed in the Holy Spirit. Orientate your heart towards God. You can because he will not reject you. You are accepted in the well-beloved. I love that from the book of Ephesians. We are accepted in the well-beloved. The word accepted is the same word that the father spoke of the son and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well-pleased. God uses that word to describe you. You are as pleasing to the father as Jesus was and is pleasing to the father. Give him a big praise because... We shall see that being God-focused means that you are less self-centered and more other-centered than you ever thought was possible. You turn the attention away from self, which really means the old self that is corrupted, that has nothing to do with what God had in mind when he created you in the first place. Your new self is your true self, and you're going to love that. And so what you do is embrace who you are in Christ, and that in itself will orientate you, reorientate you to the Father, and you'll want to draw closer to him than ever before. And God himself will bring you closer to others in your life, in Jesus' name. Don't let the devil steal your identity. One of the big problems today is identity theft. It happens on the internet. They worm their way in through wormholes, black holes. No, that's, that's not a computer. That's something else. They get in the back door, side door, or whatever they do, and they hack your information, your bank account, and you say, let them have it because there's nothing in it. <laughs> bank account passwords, and all the rest of it, and then they clone your identity, steal your identity. You get a telephone call from the bank said, you have been to Africa, Asia, China, and the Middle East in this last month, and you've spent $25,000, and we're coming to collect it. Said, it wasn't me, yes it is, here's your seat. No, it wasn't me, yes it is. Identity theft. Now that's serious. And if you've got any doubts about that, speak to an IT person. I'm sure I don't want to make you nervous about it, but there are ways of protecting yourself. But there is another form of spiritual identity theft, and that is when the enemy steals your true identity 
hides it from you and imposes on you another identity, one of his choosing. I want to take my identity from Jesus, don't you? And for many of you, that must just be the new beginning that you're looking for today. Do something new.